uh, I want to just share a couple of testimonies real quick. One, um, uh, Miss Robbins, good to see her back in service. She was uh, out of town for a few weeks, and we, in the meantime, were able to take the uh, conversion van that was donated to the church. We have now a, a wheelchair access van with uh, a lift, and it was donated to the church, and we picked her up once in it, and uh, since I didn't know what I was doing and the lift had a few glitches, I said, we need to get this thing checked out before she gets back in it. And I'd shared with our uh, advisor team kind of what I would hope that we would be able to get it repaired for uh, since the van was free. And, uh, well, I'll just tell you it was less than half of what we had budgeted towards uh, getting it repaired. They gave us a break and um, took care of it, and so we picked her up today, and we're really thankful for that. Um, also, I want to share with you uh, with the uh, building project, uh, we're, we took a couple weeks there break, and we're back at it. And I want to appreciate Oscar and Judy Vilhauer this morning, especially because what y'all don't realize is, you know, those RVs, while there's is very nice, I go in, I was like, that's a nice RV. But, you know, those aren't built for wintertime generally. And uh, they have gone through it. They have had things break, um, froze. Uh, we had a water line break, uh, hose to it the other day. And, and uh, they've uh, been having to run some space here to keep warm. I'm just going to tell you, you notice there's no other RVers staying out there. So really appreciate them because they are, they are sticking it out when most would say, hey, uh, you know, i got to take care of that rig and all, and they're just put it in God's hands and been here. And um, they're putting up with me. You know, that's, that's a bigger hill to climb. So, uh, no, but I'm thankful for them. I do want to take time to remind you, though, this, this is not an uh, RV project where it's been built by the RVers solely. This is a conjunction with our church folks. Many of you, I'm preaching to the choir, you've come out. Some of you can't, and you've been praying. That's part of what we need is prayers. Financially, if you've been uh, making a pledge to boiling project, keeping up with that, that's helping. But uh, we, we will be uh, still needing more volunteers. Uh, there's lots to get done. And, uh, you know, Oscar and I have been out there a couple times past dark and uh, long days, and that's, that's hard on you. Uh, we found out, I found out during the holidays once my body started repairing, that was probably a little too much, so... Um, if you're able to come out and help us, just get a hold of me first because with weather and different projects, uh, times vary, uh, but we are back at it. So we're hoping to get the portico built. That's the covered awning that you'll be able to drive through. It's about 18 foot by 27 foot long. It will really add some character to the building too. If you've been by there, all the openings are boarded up with scrap lumber because it was cold and our HVAC guys have been working. They've got almost all the rough in for HVAC minus the sanctuary. Uh, we'll be doing that later. So a lot of been, lots been getting done, uh, even while we were taking a break. But keep praying. We still need a plumber. We need God to give us a guy. And, and I know this is a lot to ask, but I want to pray specifically. God give us someone who has a heart uh, for the church that will just donate most of their services. And, you know, we know materials are going to cost, and we plan to pay for materials. But the guy that was helping us before, that was the deal. And so we were counting that on that in the budget, and now we still don't have a plumber. And they could already be doing the next stage of plumbing right now. We're ready for them. So be praying. We, we need someone that just says, look, you know, I'll donate some time or I'll charge very little labor for my guy or whatever, but we just, we just need the right deal, the right person. All right. Well, uh, I want to get into the message. And uh, I, I, I don't know, uh, some of you maybe don't get into movies much, and I don't, we don't go to the movies very often, but uh, we discovered they've got one of those movie theaters in Fayetteville that has the reclining leather seats electric and that's good for me on two levels one if it's a movie i like i'm comfortable through the whole thing two it's one i don't like it's a perfect nap you just you know usually i don't pay for my naps but uh 
You know, I've been to a few movies before where Jen can tell you, I, I'm not trying to be rude, but it's just not worth staying awake for. So, um, But anyway, we went and watched a Star Wars movie. And listen, I like Star Wars. I saw Star Wars when it first came out as, as a kid. At least I think I saw the first one. I was born in 73. Maybe I, I didn't, but I think I saw the first one. And uh, so I, I, I like it. But, you know, as you get older, especially as a minister, you start paying attention more to these scripts and these storylines. And, and you're a little more weary when your kids are watching. And, you know, this whole thing about the force, right? The force. And, and, and of all things, the one that's the wisest in all this on the good side is Yoda. I mean, that guy looks like a mix between a frog and a turtle and an elf. I don't know. It's just weird, you know, and, and so I started thinking about how kind of humorous that really is in one aspect, but how people buy into that. Now, there's going to be some, they're diehard Star Wars fans, and they're Christians, and they're going to say, oh, yeah, it's really referencing the good force that God, no, there's no Christian theme in Star Wars. I hate to tell you that, no matter how hard people try. But, you know, I'm watching that, and, you know, it would be great if God gave us, uh, you know, the kind of, like uh, how Obi-Wan Kenobi could just like wave his hand and make somebody say or do something, right? Especially parents, if you're kids, you know how many times you have to tell them to clean the room? What if one time you could just go, you will clean your room? And they just do it, right? You will make your grades. You will, right? That'd be great. Yeah, oh, yeah. Bill says it's just a, a swoop this direction. He says that, that's, the, that's, that's the force right there. Yeah, there's some force behind that for sure. Uh, drum machine's not working otherwise it's going to <laughs> but you know I watched that and I thought you know it, it's it projects that the, you know Yoda is the wise one that the force helps you to become wise and gives you power I'm going to s- switch gears and come back to that minute but I want I want to begin asking you to shout out what is one of the most popular bible passages you know just shout it out what's what's a most popular bible passage someone John 3:16 what does that say And some of you are just saying, well, I at least saw it on a poster board at the game, at the stadium. No, it's good that you know what it is, but there's lots of them that we, we could just rattle off. They're, they're, they're ones we hear more. Like Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Romans 12.1, present your bodies as living. Philippians 1.6, he who began a work, good work in you will complete it. Romans 8.28, in all things God works for the good. Here's another Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your... And lean not to your own... In all your ways, Him, and He will make your paths straight. Right? But let's admit something right here. That right at the beginning, that some of these verses we hear, when we hear them, we simply check out. You're thinking, no, I don't. Well, I I would beg to differ that sometimes we hear things so much, we... We kind of check out. We've heard them so many times before, they've lost their impact. It's kind of like if you hear someone start singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you can sing that, yeah, I know the words, and I sing it as a kid. But the depth of the words, the meaning, what's behind it, sometimes we just don't really get it anymore, right? I, my uncle Herschel, who's gone about to be with the Lord, my, one of my dad's older brothers, he would walk through a grocery store or, or go into a place and he could walk up to a cashier or a waitress and just say, has anybody told you today God loves you? Now that sounds simple, right? And I could say it and they say, oh, yeah, whatever. 
man, there's so many times people just break down in tears. Because, because he was saying it from, from a life of living that and so believing it that when he said it, it would reach in, the Holy Spirit reach in the depths of their spirit and, and, and poke at something that was a, as a hurt that God wanted to mend, right? And, and so we can hear things so many times that we kind of become complacent about them. Or we, we, we say something like this in our minds, oh yeah, I know all about that verse. And then we disengage and shut down. But God's truths are terrific. But over time, if we don't keep our hearts tender, they can degenerate into something little more than just trite sayings. Here's something to remember. Familiarity can breed contempt, or at least boredom. That's why the atheist has a hard time ever experiencing God, because they're not trying to experience him. They want factual proof of God. But the problem is, is that you can't just have factual proof of God. You have to be, have a heart willing to experience him. And so you could repeat Bible verses to them. They're like, oh, yeah, I've already read it. I've read the Bible. I may know it better than you, the atheist may say. And you're like, why can't I get through them? Why can't I understand? Because you have opened your heart to experience God. It's not just a trite saying to you. It's not just uh, from an old ancient book. It has meaning in life to you. But familiarity can breed contempt or at least boredom. Recognizing the risk involved in preaching through a proper uh, popular proverb. Hopefully I'm not going to get tongue-tied like last week. Was it last week? All right. Pray for me under your breath. All right. But I realize that this uh, preaching through something popular you've heard a lot. You may just shut me off. But just please on this message, I want you to just stay attentive. And don't let the enemy distract you. The title of the sermon is Wisdom Does Not Come from the Jedi Force. Wisdom Does Not Come from the Jedi Force. So I want to camp around Proverbs uh, chapter 3. If you want to turn to Proverbs chapter 3, just those two verses I want to spend most of the time around, 5 and 6. So Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. I want us to learn how we can make wise decisions. You know, wisdom isn't a word that's used a lot now. It's like humility. How many times do you hear the word humility used anymore? Wisdom. Says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You know, a nationwide poll of 5,000 churchgoers, not just Assembly of God, not just one denomination, but various ones, they asked, What topic would you most like your pastor to preach on? And the number one was uh, prophecy, Bible prophecy. The second most asked topic was about how to understand God's will for your life. Those are the two most uh, favored uh, topics. It's kind of like I love the story of the woman who was driving through uh, the mountains west of Denver and she ran into a snowstorm and she wasn't from that area and not used to snowstorms. And she sees a snowplow in front of her and the headlights and all the mist coming off of all the snow going off. I thought, I'll just follow behind the snowplow and at least uh, then I, I could see uh, at least I have a path to go on. I can kind of see where I'm going a little bit. Hopefully I catch a road sign, but I'll just follow him. And she follows him for quite a while and, and keeps going. And finally, the snowplow stops, and the driver gets out and comes back to her window, and she rolls it down, and he says, Ma'am, can I help you? She says, No, no, you're helping me. I'm just following you, trying to make sure I, you know, I don't want to veer off the road or anything, and then hoping to, and he goes, Where are you going? Well, I'm trying to get to the other side of the state. He said, You're not going to do it following me. I've been plowing a parking lot for the last five hours. <laughs> but... 
you know, often that's how our, our faith walk is. We think we're, we know where we're going. We think we're following the right person or the right thing, but we're just going in circles. Mainly because we don't let God be the one directing us. In order to get to our destinations, we have to make sure we're on the right road. And we need to follow the one who longs to give direction to our life. God wants to, God wants to direct your path more than you want him to direct your path. He wants nothing more than to direct your path. On page 18 of a book by Ray Pritchard called The Road Best Traveled, Ray argues this, God wants you to know his will more than you want to know it, and he takes personal responsibility to see that you discover it. God's not playing some cosmic game, as some atheists may argue. He's not trying to play hide-and-go-seek with this. He delights in revealing his purpose and his plans if we're serious about finding his will for our life. But here's the thing. It's like the atheist who says, well, why, why is your God playing this big game? Why can't he just show himself? And it's like we're saying, we go by this word. How'd you miss the part about God's son coming in the flesh and the religious people killed him for it? So it doesn't work for him to just show up. It doesn't work for him to just uh, reveal himself because people will still make the decision to, not, to follow or not follow. So I want to cover some myths about guidance. Myths about God's plan for your life. These are pretty common myths that we need to identify and dispel before we go much further. So myth number one, God's will is hard to find. That's a myth. That God's will is hard to find. Well, many of us struggle with trying to discern what God wants us to do in specific situations. Much of what he desires is already revealed in the, in the Bible. You know, in God's word of wisdom, Proverbs 6.22 puts it this way. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will speak to you. Talking about the Spirit of God. The word of God guides us, protects us, and speaks to us. It's like, you know, when we pray and pray, God, tell me which job I should take. Which job I should take. And, and sometimes we, I feel like God may be saying, why don't you just read like in Matthew where I tell you your great commission is to go make disciples. And wherever you land, if you're doing that, I will make your path straight. I've already told you what you need to be doing. You're worried about what job. I'm telling you in whatever place that you find yourself, whatever place you may go, I, that's what I want you to be doing. In other words, the Bible has already revealed God's will in most situations in life. For instance, in Proverbs, we learn that God's will is for us to revere him and to seek after wisdom. It's also God's will to monitor our mouths so that we speak words of life instead of sentences of death to people. God, why can't you tell me what I'm supposed to be doing? Well, first you need to learn to control what you're saying to others because I can't put you on a path and to other people when you aren't doing what's right with the people that's already around you. I can't trust you with more people than it's in your family because you're already talking negative to your spouse or your, the way you talk to your kids or the way you talk to your parents. I can't send you on any other destination because you aren't doing what my word says now. God's also given guidance for our family relationships and personalize it for hu- husbands, wives, grandparents parents and children and some of us search so hard for guidance we forget that god's already revealed himself in the pages of his word it's just we don't open it up enough to find it myth number two god wants us to know the future 
Oh, man, how much I spent, especially in teen years, praying, God, just tell me what I'm going to be doing 10 years from now. That way I can get started on it now. God, just tell me. It, it, it's like, you know, you're trying to tell kids, you know, uh, do your schoolwork because you'll use a lot of this in life. And, and if at the very least you learn discipline of study and whatever you decide is a path, you'll learn that discipline. And then, you know, they don't get it. And you're, you're like, if you just show them, right? Let me show you what I went through, daydreaming, looking out the window of school and failing algebra, and then getting looking at jobs where like, oh, it'd be nice if I knew algebra. You know, or whatever the situation. But, but God doesn't want us to know the future. Many times I don't think he could trust us. We'd mess it up if he did. If he told me what I'd be doing now, that I would not be on the mission field, but I'd be pastoring a church, I probably would have been scared ran longer. Right? I would have ran from it. I would have messed it up. God doesn't reveal what's coming next week or next month or next year, but instead urges us to take the next step. He doesn't want us to worry about the past. He doesn't want us to worry about the future. He wants us to let him hold our future and us just take the next step. Proverbs 6.23, For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. The picture's here, not a spotlight that's showing, you know, now we've got these like 2,000, 2,000 lumen flashlights, right? These LEDs that you can shine them across a, uh, half a mile to a building. But that's not what the kind of light that it's describing here. It's more like an old lantern where all you can see is just the walking path around where you're going so you can take the next step safely. But it's not something that you can see far down the road. It's more like that, that old lantern. The reason God doesn't reveal our entire future is because he wants us to trust him moment by moment as we take one step at a time. It's why I don't throw my 11-year-old boys the car keys and say, I know what the law says, but go ahead and run to the store to save me the time and go pick up groceries, come back. I, I can't just throw everything at them. There's a process. There's a maturing. There's a growing. There's a learning. Myth number three, we need to be 100% sure before we make a decision. I like this one. It reminds me of the, oh, God, should I buy that car? Uh, uh, okay, since I'm not hearing you, if I see three cars just like it, the same color today on the road, that's my sign to buy it. And so you see the three cars, you're like, well, that has to be obvious. Although they sold two million of them, right? But that has to be obvious. That's the sign. So you go to fill out the paperwork, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, I forgot about the taxes and tagging all this. Um, maybe I better ask God, okay, God, if I see two more that same color, then I'll know I'm supposed to spend this money. Right? We think we've got to be this 100% sure, and, and even though that's a silly example, there's many people who have a call to ministry who will keep waiting until God, they want God to just drop down in the cloud and reveal it on the, on the bulletin board for them before they'll take a step. In our search for certainty about God's will, we can end up being paralyzed by reservations and uncertainty. If anyone in this room, I believe, could speak with authority on this particular subject, it'd be me, because it took me 20 years to finally step through the door of full-time ministry after my call for it. 20 years I spent doing other things because after God called me because I just never could get that 100% surety step through until I got so frustrated, so frustrated about why it was taking so long, I said, okay, God, we'll do it. We'll do it. Just open the door. I'll walk through. Don't wait and wait until you're 100% certain. You may be waiting a long time. God wants us to step out in faith. I think many Christians, I think many churches, they're paralyzed by waiting for this big obvious sign when God's saying, 
from my word. You just need to be active about doing what I've already told you to do. Just step out. Do something for me and I will lead and guide you as you go. When we do, he'll accomplish his purpose according to Proverbs 16.9. It says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Myth number four, God's greatest goal is my happiness. Now this is going to kind of go along with what Bill's suggestion about instead of the Obi-Wan, this, right? Have you ever met the parent and the child where the parent's greatest concern was the child's happiness? That was their number one concern for their life. My child is my world, and I need to make sure they're happy. Yeah. You want to babysit that kid? Probably not. Probably not. You know, my dad had a special leather belt that had a lot of holes in it. I think he used that because it didn't have much wind resistance when it, you know, when it went. And whether you agree with that kind of discipline or not, I, I now, as I'm older, I, I, back then I would have wished not to get it, but now I understand. Some of my dad's greatest concern, my happiness, came from that leather belt. Because he didn't want me to end up taking the wrong path in life. He wanted to correct me because he loved me. So God's greatest goal is not my happiness. Many of us Americans have bought into that legend that we deserve to be happy and successful. That we deserve it. And this is a myth. God's committed to our holiness, not our happiness. And in order for that to happen, sometimes he allows us to go through some pretty tough times. The last part of Proverbs 6.23 makes this clear. It says, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Job wasn't even being corrected. Job went through it. He wasn't even being corrected. Tested, yes, but not even corrected. So I'm sure Job could have had concerns if he wanted to say, man, God doesn't seem to be too concerned about my happiness. You have to understand that happiness is an emotion while joy is a state of mind. Emotion fades. States of mind settle in for the ride. Some of us spend way too much time trying to figure out what God wants us to do and where he wants us to live. While God cares about these things, he is much more interested in what kind of person we are. It's the same thing as your preacher, your pastor. It, you, you would much rather probably me be able to walk life together with you and us learn together as we walk with the Lord than me preach at you but have terrible skills at relationships. If I couldn't ever just walk life with you and, and I was not someone you ever want to be around, some of you are like saying, yeah, I'm praying for you on that. But, but God, this is God's resolve for our lives according to 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It is God's will that you should be holy. And if we're to unpack Proverbs Chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. If we unpack that a little bit, this passage gives us two responsibilities. One is we need to lean on the Lord and lean, learn to love Him with everything we've got. We, when we do, he, he promises to lead us and our task is to learn and God's job is to lead us. It, it's just the same premise as a natural phenomenon we see in culture. I've been a part of something before where someone said, we're going to start this thing and it's going to be very organic and we really don't need a leader for it. We just want people to kind of lead themselves. Those things never last. We, we as people always need someone leading us. Even leaders will have, they have life coaches. Even when a CEO gets to the very top of his game and it doesn't seem there's anyone over him, guess what they do? They go hire somebody and pay them a lot of money to be a life coach. 
Lean on the Lord. The word trust in the Hebrew literally means to lean with the whole body, to rest one's full weight upon something. We, we think of putting our trust and our assurance in someone but as, as just putting our assurance in them as trust, but it's really more than that. When we put our trust in someone, it's putting everything about us into that. The word picture carries an idea of stretching yourself out upon a bed or a hard surface. If I was to lay down on this altar, and I won't for two reasons, one out of reverence and one out of uh, saving myself the embarrassment of trying to get up without falling, but, but I'd be putting my whole weight out. If I just put my arms and legs out, some of you are like, that's planking, but that's putting your full weight. To trust in the Lord is to put your full weight, everything you've got upon him. The title Lord is the name Yahweh or Jehovah and focuses on God's covenant-making and promise-keeping character. So we've got this idea that it's us putting our full weight, everything we've got on Him, and Him being our Lord, our our Savior, um, our promise, uh, the one that fulfills His promises. So we're called to trust the unchanging one who can count on, who we can count on in Proverbs 29, 25 says, whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. And notice when we're called to trust that it's complete commitment. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that same word all is used in Leviticus 6.22 to refer to an offering that was burned in its entirety. God's saying, give your whole heart, give your all. It's going to be a sacrifice that's burned up, that's consumed before me. God doesn't want half-baked sacrifices or half-hearted devotion. I was, I was think often about when I was growing up in church, you know, being a young kid, my parents didn't have to tell me who the fully devoted people were in the church. You knew because anytime there was something to be done, they were there, they were happy to do it, they were joyful about it, they get it done, and they were there. Nobody had to explain even to a child. You could see that kind of devotion. And you knew. And then there were some that were making a donation. I'm, I'm donating part of me to this, but... I'm not wholly devoted. It's kind of like the chicken and the pig that were going down the street and they saw a big fundraiser and it said ham and egg breakfast. And the chicken said to the pig, hey, that's right up our alley. We could go help out. And the pig said, that's easy for you to say. For you, it's a donation. For me, it's a full commitment. And that's truly it. It's literally my life being laid on the line for the cause of Christ. You know, I... I feel that at different times there's, there's natural world realities that give me a glimpse of the, gra- the gravity of what we're doing here. One is when I sign for that loan, when I hate debt, and I believe Scripture tells us try to stay away from it, but we, we need to do something, and I sign for that knowing I'm trusting God, we're going to pay this off. And, it's, and I'm putting, you know, I, I, I guess even though I'm only 44, I'm still kind of old school. My parents taught me your word is your bond, your name means a lot. And so I put that down. I'm like, if this church disbanded, I'm going to be working the rest of my life to pay this debt off myself because I will not go back on my word. You know, it's like I mentioned, that's why we took out a key leader policy on me, uh, insurance policy as a church as a beneficiary. That way, if the Lord decides to take me home early, the debt's paid off in the church. Every avenue we could to make sure that we were, we were taking those steps is a full commitment. Everything within me, even my life. And that's what God is asking, that you're willing to put your life on the line for his kingdom. Now I don't mean to compare those of you that feel wholly devoted to a pig. 
but you get the picture. The word heart refers to more than just the place where feelings come from. In the Old Testament, the heart was considered the center of the mind, the will, and the emotions. We're to trust God with all that we are, with all our feelings, with all our thoughts, our decisions, knowing that God's will is not a matter of learning a tricky technique or following a fancy formula. It's one of the hot topics in church culture today. Is like, you know, uh, smoke machines, lights, uh, the music, and, and whatever, you know, in churches. And, and, and we want to sit at the sidelines and say, you know, look, are they just trying to come up with a gimmick to reach people? Or are they actually using the gospel? And there, there's a valid discussion there because I'm sure there are plenty of churches just like in the New Testament that were going down the wrong path. But I think sometimes we pull our focus away from the things that are important. It really is, are the people with all their heart leaning on God, their full weight, fully committed, their lives on the line? If so, then all that other preference stuff that we get caught up in doesn't really matter. We're too quick to look at the outside sometimes and pick apart another work or a believer or a congregation or a denomination because we don't like, it's not our flavor, it's not what we grow up with. What is real to us is what our parents or grandparents did. And anything else under that, we're just looking down our nose at it, so skeptical. But God doesn't look that way. He looks at the heart. And how can you make that rash judgment over some kind of technology use or some kind of other thing and make that rash judgment just because you don't like that or you think that that's not godly or that's not scriptural or whatever. You, you know, you're picking your thing, but, but God doesn't do that. He's saying, I just want you to be fully committed, wholly devoted, not finicky, not ready to quit every time something happens you don't like it. Not ready to just go the other way just because it's not your flavor. Verse 5 continues, and lean not to your own understanding. To lean means to rest upon something and, and for support, and it's what you do when you feel a bit unsteady. The word used for leaning against a tree or use of a cane when you're walking. And, and we're given this positive admonition to, to lean fully on the Lord like one who falls back on a bed. You've seen the old uh, example like if Ken were to stand up here and I was going to tell him I'm going to trust you, I'm going to fall back and catch me. I do trust him, but I, uh, yeah, I'm heavy. But <laughs> I trust him. But then we also get to the rebuke. Don't trust your own understanding. Man, our hearts and our minds can really lead us astray pretty quickly. Emotion can get the best of you and have you so twisted before you know it. But to fully lean. Understanding refers to the mental process we use to analyze a problem, to break it down into smaller parts, and then make a decision about what we're going to do. Some of us pray to, not to find God's will, but to get his approval for what we already want to do. God, you, you, you know I really want to do that. Yeah, can't you just say okay? Let's admit it. Most of us think that we can figure things out on our own. We, we can do just fine on our own. But if we're serious about making wise decisions, we'll go to God. And that's why I don't, I'm on social media. You all know I use it. I am probably post more than I should at times too. But, but it's kind of that, that litmus test you should give yourself. When I come across something where I need direction, am I jumping on social media to get feedback from people I either barely know or others, or am I getting on my knees before the Lord and asking him for direction? Who do I run to first? That's, 
That's something for you to internally, not to embarrass you here. You don't need to raise your hand. But ask yourself, how often am I running to other sources other than God for direction when the pressure's on? I think I'm going to lose my job, or I think I'm going to lose my spouse, or the relationship breaking up, or my kid's going the wrong way. Do we run to others first? I'm not saying that God didn't, God puts people in our path, godly people to go to, but I'm saying how often do we go to God first? Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Proverbs 28, 26, it, it brings us to this. He who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. And then Proverbs 20, 18, make plans by seeking advice. If you wage war, obtain guidance. You know, it, it, rhythm like that has helped me having others around me and God speaking my heart on this building project. The, I remember when we were getting ready to pour the slab and I was just like, we need to, we're at the beginning. We hadn't taken a bank loan draw yet. And I'm thinking we need to do everything we can and save all the labor. And uh, some of y'all know Cappy Caps, who was on our advisory team that came here. He was in commercial concrete. He said, brother, is there anything I could do to convince you to not do the slab with volunteers? Not that I don't trust your volunteers or you guys, but you can really mess things up pretty quick. He said, it's really not that much money in the grand scheme of things. And when we started looking around, we found out in this area they're higher priced than over in Tulsa. It's just a matter of hiring somebody out of town, and it was worth the money. After we saw right, Jonathan's been in that, and he knows. It was worth the money to have those guys come out. Like when we were building our house, and Ken told me, hey, brother, you're going to do your insulation yourself? And I was like, yeah, i got to save money. He said, you better get them to bid that because I couldn't do it for as cheap as they could do it with labor materials. Sure enough, we found out there's a company that I couldn't do it cheaper than they could and have them do it. When we were doing my slab on my uh, garage floor, uh, Cappy was going to help me. And I said, okay, we'll get out there. It's like 90 degrees. Cappy said, brother, we could do this, but there's two guys that work for me that they'll come out here for 75 bucks a piece and they'll do the whole thing. And I said, you're telling me for 150 bucks we can sit in the shade and drink sweet tea and watch those guys do it right? <laughs> I said, sold. I was like, I was thinking it was hundreds and hundreds of dollars. He said, well, it can be if you hire a contractor, but, you know, it was just learning from, wisdom is not necessarily having to make the same mistakes others do. It's learning from others' mistakes. Cappy was teaching me something. Don't always think it's cheaper to do it yourself, right? Some of you that have been around the block with that, Brother Barnhouse, I know you all have done plenty of projects. Sometimes it's not cheaper to do it yourself. And it goes for our walk with the Lord. There's many times that we go at it and God's saying, let me help you because I know your future. I know what's around, come around the corner. I know how this all works. And you keep wearing yourself out and doing it the hard way. And it costs you far more. Let me do it for you. Or let me do it with you. It's the same, it's the same thing. It's, it's, it's wisdom. God, wisdom from his word teaching us. We learn from God. And here's what we have so far. First, lean on the Lord. Give yourself totally him. Lay yourself out for the Almighty. Don't automatically trust what you think you should do, but get the advice from his word, from God, from others that he's put in your life. And then I want to quickly, uh, at the end here, I want to give us um, a couple of uh, recommendations here, guidelines, not recommendations, but from God's word, to give us something to know how to make wise decisions. Recognizing that you may be facing some difficult decisions either now or in the future, 
these are uh, some things from Proverbs that will help you make wise choices. Number one, we need to think about his lordship. Jesus, is he occupying the first place in your life? Is he, Jesus, the main thing in your life? Is he who you run to, as we mentioned? Is he the main thing in your life? Are you willing to do his will no matter what it will be? Do you start out in your prayers, God, will you help me to do this or will you do this? Or God, what would you like me to do? Jesus, show me what you would like me to do and help me to accomplish it. The second thing, and Proverbs 3, 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Someone said that there are too many cafeteria Christians that want to pick and choose what they, what they want instead of letting God plan the whole meal. Secondly, the Word of God. What principles, what commands, what, what prohibitions from the Bible apply to the decision you need to make? There's many times we don't want to search God's Word before we, uh, when we ask Him for permission, afraid that His Word is going to give us the answer already. I'm just hoping that I can make believe that God said okay. Has God given any promises or motivating verses on the subject that you're praying about? Proverbs 13, 13. He who scorns instruction will pay for it, but he who respects a command is rewarded. Pride is one of the biggest hurdles we have to overcome when finding out what God's wisdom is in a situation. What wisdom he wants to give us. Because Many times it's like the, the old thing, guys don't like to ask, ask for directions, right? You're on a trip, and you think you know where you're going, and your wife all of a sudden just texts that you're, you're just kind of guessing at it. Honey, why don't we stop at the gas station and ask directions? Oh, they won't know. Why don't you just ask? Ask Siri. She don't know nothing. I've asked her lots of questions. She says, let me look that up for you. I'm like, why don't I just look it up myself? Third thing, Prayer. Have I prayed about the decision? Am I seeking the Lord daily and allowing Him to give me His direction? Here's a principle. When possible, choose to pray and ponder for at least 24 hours before making a decision. In fact, there's a godly principle Dave Ramsey teaches about the walk-away principle, right? There, there's a sales uh, method that Carlotte used to do. It's, it's called the puppy dog sale. It's where they tell you, why don't you drive it home? where you can just kind of not have the pressure of us here and put it in your driveway or in your garage a little bit, walk around it, kind of take a look at it, take a little drive, and then, you know, just in a day or so, bring it back, and then if you don't want it, then, right, guess what they're wanting you to do, right? You're going to get attached to it. And, and so um, Dave Ramsey tells people, walk away, think about it. Most, and he said in real estate, they used to normalize this buyer's remorse. So the people would go to sign for a house, maybe too much house for them, and they would tell them, hey, tonight when you go home, you're going to get nervous, you're going to want to back out, that's normal. What you need to do is just forget about it, roll over, go sleep, come back, sign the papers, and you'll be fine. It happens to everybody. So they normalize that. Really, that's probably uh, the Holy Spirit trying to tell people, even if they're not believers, hey, you need, to, you need to rethink this, right? So take time to pray about it and give God a chance to respond. Give God a chance to respond. Fourth, godly counsel. We've hit on this a lot, but I just want to—I want to mention again Proverbs nineteen twenty. Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you'll be wise. When faced with a decision, God will place people in your lives that will help guide you. You may not always want to hear their advice or what they have to say, but—but but they're there. 
it's kind of like when you get to be uh, almost 30 years old and you finally start thinking, man, my parents all of a sudden are learning things. Like I thought they knew nothing, and now it's like they're getting smarter the older I get. Proverbs 19.21 provides us with a good reminder. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is sovereign. He's in control. And many times we hit rough patches in our lives and we think that all the craziness and the havoc that, that we're on our own and we're not. He wants to reveal his purpose to you more than you want him to reveal it to you. But like we had in the last message, are there any roadblocks? Are you obeying his word, the simple things he's already written? Are you being faithful in the things he's already put in front of you? Maybe he doesn't want you to move on yet because you're just not getting what he's already laid out for you. I, I'm just going to use an example. There could be that coworker that in your heart, you've been feeling that little prompt in your heart, I should talk to them about the Lord. And you've let the enemy discourage you and scare you from it. And now you're asking God, well, well, well God, what about this promotion? Should I apply for that promotion? And I ask you, maybe you're feeling unsettled because God's saying, you've got a task to complete here. I really want you to reach out to them. I'm preparing their heart. We'll worry about your finances later, but there's a soul on the line here, right? We never know all the other things because he doesn't necessarily want us to know the whole future. He just wants us to take a step. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this opportunity, Lord, to just be in your word and be in your presence. And I pray right now, as your Holy Spirit has convicted hearts, Lord, to change, I just pray that if, if we have begun to be lax and where we seek wisdom. God, if we've been running to the social media first and not to you or, or God trying to do things under our own strength, that Lord, you will just help us to be reminded of your word every time we encounter that crossroads that we run to you. God, that we're reminded of the sacrifice that you made when you sent Jesus to die for our sins, that, that God, this is serious business for you because you realize that, Lord, the wisdom is to guide us home. The wisdom you want us to use, Lord, in even some of these small decisions is to keep pointing us towards our eternal home. That none should perish, but all have eternal life. Lord, I thank you. Praise you. God, we can stand before your throne and hear you say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. God, you offer us the tools, the wisdom, Lord, to make that happen in our lives. That, God, you offer us the help. And I pray that we would see wisdom increase amongst us. That God, in our families, even our children. Wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Increase our wisdom, Lord. Guide us and direct us. I want, before we close out, uh, take opportunity to take communion together. If those that are prepared to help us with that come. the Old Testament, the children of Israel, I've mentioned this multiple times, there was a danger that they would not teach their children about the great things God had done. Parting the waters, leading them to the promised land that just a few generations later could lose all of that story if it was not told. And Jesus said after he had sacrificed and died on the cross, he said, as many times as you gather, when you gather, do this in remembrance of me. We don't believe that the bread becomes the body of Christ. We don't believe that the blood becomes his blood. We believe this is a symbol, just like that last supper Jesus had with his disciples. 
before he went to the cross, that we would remember the sacrifice. And like we said in the beginning of the message, so that it wouldn't just become some trite thing to remember, that it wouldn't become just normalized, but the impact of what he did for us would continue, continue, 